Welcome to the American Maritime Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host. Thank you for joining us and thank the American Maritime Partnership for sponsoring this podcast. We're pleased to have Congressman Mike Gallagher with us today. Uh, Congressman Gallagher is in his second term representing Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District. That's the home of the Fincantieri uh, Shipyard at Marinette, also the home of an, another famous uh, organization called the Green Bay Packers. Mr. Gallagher is a member of two uh, key committees as far as the maritime industry is concerned, the House Armed Services Committee Sea Power Subcommittee, as well as the Transportation and Infrastructure Coast Guard Subcommittee. Both are, are, as I say, key committees, one covering off the military side, the other covering off Coast Guard and commercial aspects of the maritime industry. So the Congressman is fully immersed in policy issues involving the maritime industry, and we really appreciate that. Uh, and there's a lot going on right now. Uh, Congressman, thank you for your service in the Marine Corps, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. I should disclose, though, I was part of a generation of Marines that uh, didn't see water or ships because we deployed to the desert all the time. So I've had to catch up with my maritime knowledge ever since getting off active duty. There's plenty of time to do that, and, and uh, you're in the right place to do it, too, as I, as I mentioned. Let's go ahead and dive right in. The big news recently uh, in, in your district is certainly the award uh, to Fincantieri of a Navy contract to build the replacements for the literal combat ship or the LCS. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to overstate the importance of this award for Northeast Wisconsin. I mean, first and foremost, it means that Wisconsin's gonna be on the front lines of our competition particularly with the Chinese Communist Party and the PLA Navy for decades to come. And I could not be more proud of the hardworking men and women of Marinette Marine who made this possible. And because of their efforts, when the Chinese Navy looks out across the South China Sea and sees Marinette constructed frigates, they're going to know not to mess with the United States. So there are a ton of national security reasons to be excited about this victory. Uh, it really embodies where the Navy is going in terms of smaller, more agile ships. I believe the future frigate done right will be the foundation of the future fleet more broadly. And it's also an ideal platform from which to do unmanned experimentation. And I think we can all confidently predict that the future fleet is going to have a lot more unmanned systems and unmanned ships eventually. So from a geopolitical perspective, it's huge. And it, it's cool to, to think that, you know, Old Northeast Wisconsin, you know, little, little Northeast Wisconsin is playing a, a key role uh, in terms of the future of geopolitical competition as someone who, you know, my, uh, despite my, my sort of Middle East land focused service in the Marine Corps, my family has a little bit of history on the Great Lakes. My grandfather, Captain Cornelius Gallagher, spent 23 years as a ship captain and when uh, he was, the, his ship was the SSS uh, Cliss Victory. Uh, so, it's just kind of cool. It's part of uh, Northeast Wisconsin's culture. The second thing I'd say, just economically, it, it is a huge win for Wisconsin shipbuilding and our economy here in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, you know, it's not only a uh, $5.5 billion contract that will lead directly to a thousand new jobs at the shipyard, but when you factor in the multiplier effect these jobs will have, the contract could create more than 5,500 jobs across Northeast Wisconsin. And most importantly, I mean, I was up in Marinette a couple of days ago, you realize how many generations of workers have gone in and out of the gates of that shipyard. And so to think that we're given that next generation 
the chance to do the same, make a good living for themselves and be proud about what they make. It's really cool. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge win. Uh, I'm really excited about it. That's a great story. Uh, and it's great legacy uh, with your grandfather and the Great Lakes uh, as a captain there. Some of us may not be as familiar with the connection between shipbuilding and shipping and the Great Lakes economy. Uh, are there some natural synergies between what Wisconsin and the region produces and the, the maritime industry? Absolutely. I mean, shipbuilding is one of the oldest industries in America and remains vitally important to this day, um, you know, as American ships sail every sea and ocean on the planet. And it's not just important to have a strong Navy as the ships built at Marinette will help ensure, but it's also important to have the technical expertise to build a strong Navy here at home. And then specifically to Wisconsin, I mean, we're a major manufacturing state. Uh, we continue to be a, a major manufacturing state. And the shipyard really ensures that that high-tech manufacturing expertise remains in Wisconsin for years to come. And so given our geographic location on the Great Lakes region, where 28% of our GDP is generated on the Great Lakes, Wisconsin, you know, we may not come to your mind initially as a shipbuilding state with this, this industry thriving. It makes sense when you look at the water we have and just how important the Great Lakes region is to the rest of the economy, whether it's shipping iron ore across the Great Lakes or or take your pick uh, of commerce that's coming in and out. And so, you know, even my hometown of Green Bay, our, our waterfront really reflects that, sort of our industrial waterfront. And uh, our history has always been as a, as a region whose ec economy and, and overall health was tied to the health of our water uh, and, the, and the commerce that's happening on that water. Sounds like a lot's going well as far as the shipbuilding, ship repair, and, and, and maritime industry in the region. What, what kind of challenges are you facing today? Yeah, so as I mentioned, 28% of our GDP is generated in the Great Lakes region, including the bulk of U.S. steel manufacturing. So Great Lakes water-borne uh, commerce supports about 147,000 jobs, over $20 billion in business to the region. Our ports are a part of that, and our businesses rely on the Great Lakes as a vital artillery to connect them to the world markets. But, you know, as anyone who's spent some time in my neck of the woods knows, it can get really cold up here in Wisconsin. And the winter season can be rough on the Great Lakes, especially as ships try and navigate through the ice. Uh, our lake carriers rely on the U.S. Coast Guard to provide adequate ice breaking to ensure the winter doesn't bring our economy to a halt. And that is, that is always a challenge. We got really great uh, men and women uh, uh, serving in the Coast Guard in our community in Sturgeon Bay, uh, but we still have challenges in terms of ice breaking. Uh, you introduced a bill recently uh, concerning ice breaking on the Great Lakes. What's the background there and, and how will that bill work? Yeah, so to kind of dig into it a little bit, the Coast Guard's ice breaking on the Great Lakes simply, it's not adequate right now to the needs of our economy. And most of their assets go to the East and the West Coast, which are definitely important and I understand, but as I've noted, the Great Lakes, we often overlook how central it is to our economy with over a fourth of our GDP and what a priority it should be. And so to get it in, in more specific terms, in the 2018-2019 winter season, the maritime industry lost over a billion dollars in revenue just from inadequate ice breaking. The Lake Carriers Association estimates that for the winter season alone, Great Lakes shippers lost the equivalent of 21 shiploads of coal and 860 shiploads of iron ore which resulted in the loss of over 5,000 jobs. And that wasn't the only winter season that vessels have sat in port for days uh, on end, waiting for ice breaking. 
And so that was really the problem that led to the Great Lakes Winter Commerce Act uh, that I introduced. And the bill's basic idea is to modernize the Coast Guard icebreaking mission in the Great Lakes by setting reasonable performance standards. Part of the problem we have is that the Coast Guard has no statutory mandate to break ice on the Great Lakes. And so instead, they rely on a 94-year-old executive order issued by President Roosevelt during the Great Depression, which does not clearly define the icebreaking mission. You can imagine uh, that a lot has changed since the days of old Teddy Roosevelt. My bill would codify this mission into law, but set clear performance standards, and the Coast Guard would then be required to report to Congress on the operating costs of meeting these new standards. And so really it's all about how do we give the Coast Guard both the direction and the resources it needs to accomplish this mission, uh, which often gets overlooked because we tend to focus on the East and the West Coast. So the Coast Guard needs more icebreakers on the Great Lakes. That's sort of the starting point is what I hear. A hundred percent. This bill moves in that direction. You know, we've already been asking the Appropriations Committee to fund a new icebreaker that's at least as capable as the Mackinac. It's obvious by the economic losses that the current performance standards just aren't meeting the, you know, quote, reasonable demands of commerce, unquote. And for the Coast Guard to do that, they're just going to need more icebreakers. Uh, Our Coast Guard does an excellent job, but Congress has to, we have to give them the tools they need to do the job. And the appropriators did include language recently for the Coast Guard to procure one new heavy icebreaker for the Great Lakes, at least the size of the current Mackinac. I recently wrote a letter to the Coast Guard asking them to stand up the procurement office for that icebreaker as fast as possible, uh, because it's going to take several more winter seasons to even build the icebreaker. And as I alluded to before, we're losing billions of dollars uh, each one of those winter seasons that come and we don't have adequate icebreaking capability. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? So you raised a couple of questions or issues there. One concerns performance standards, which sounds like a good idea. And I'm curious how that works. And then another question, if, if you don't mind, is, is this an unfunded mandate of, of sorts where Congress is telling an agency to do something and then not providing the resources to get it done? No, you know, I don't think it's a, I don't, I don't think we're adding a new mission so much as clarifying uh, the mission. I mean, the Coast Guard already has this mission appropriations already cover all operational areas. This is setting a performance standard for an existing mission and then codifying that existing mission into law. We aren't requiring them to break ice for every ship asking for it on the Great Lakes. This actually just sort of sets a standard that's based on the 10-year average. So uh, I think it's more of a clarification of an existing mission, but it's a fair question. And certainly, you know, as we learn, once we clarify this mission, and as we're, we're building new icebreakers, we might learn things about the operational environment, um, you know, costs related to this clarified mission. And that's why I just think it's important for Congress uh, to continually review the performance standard. And, um, you know, maybe 10 years from now, if, you know, whoever holds this seat, uh, you know, after I've long since returned to the private sector, looks back and says, well, you know, Gallagher didn't really define the performance standard the right way, even though he thought he did at the right time. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's, that's why you have good congressional oversight because, you know, there's no perfect piece of legislation. I'd like to think the legislation I introduce is absolutely perfect, uh, but I'm open to the idea that it's not. You just you try and make progress, right? That's uh, Yeah, that's, that's right. Good. Dance the ball down the field. Vince Lombardi style. Chase um, perfection, catch excellence, as he would say. There you go. So also related to Great Lakes shipping, you've been working on an issue involving the Sioux locks. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so for years now, I've been helping to sound the alarm in Congress about the serious situation at the Sioux locks. The Sioux locks is critically important federal infrastructure project uh, through which 80 million tons of commercial commodities transit each year, including the vital steel industry. But the locks are a single point of failure in a trillion dollar supply chain where one unexpected closure would shut down a huge portion of the Great Lakes region. Uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers recognized this and included it in their FY20 work plan. Uh, I was pleased to see that the appropriators listened to us and approved the funding requested by the Corps in the recent appropriations bill. Unfortunately, the funding bills are still being negotiated between the White House, Senate Republican leadership, and the Speaker, and it's unclear if an agreement will be reached soon. Meanwhile, if a ship was to crash into the locks today and damage them, the entire system would be down until they were fixed. And that means no ships moving between Lake Superior and Lake Huron. So really, we're just trying to make sure we're, we don't have that single point of failure, uh, and we're kind of hedging against some of the, the bad outcomes that we, that we hope we can avoid. Uh, it takes investment to keep infrastructure in, in Absolutely. place. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to shift gears if I can and touch uh, on COVID, and then I want to come back to the armed services world. Obviously, maritime, like almost every other industry, has had to deal with major challenges in responding to the pandemic. What has Congress been doing uh, for the maritime industry to sort of help it work through these issues? Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, this has been an incredible and, and unforeseen uh, event that's altered the way of life for everybody, uh, placed strains on, on every industry, every family, and everyone in, in Wisconsin. And so it's important that throughout the challenge, we, we find ways to support our ports and, and move freight in our waterways. Uh, and really, our ability to do that has kept America going throughout this crisis. And so I'm really grateful to the, uh, to the men and women working in those industries for everything they've done to improvise, adapt, and overcome over the last few months. In Congress, the Transportation Committee held a hearing on how COVID is impacting the maritime industry. Uh, the chairman stated his intention to seek help for the maritime industry in the next uh, COVID bill. Unfortunately, the politics of the bill seem to have escaped everybody, and it's unclear when or if we'll have such a bill now. And so I really hope, maybe this sounds silly, I, I think I've long thought that the, the idea that uh, Congress goes on recess the entire month of August makes no sense, particularly when you're in the midst of a, of a pandemic that's also created an economic catastrophe. So I think it's long past time for the speaker to call us back into session, not to vote on some fake post office conspiracy, but to vote on real things like this. And I'm hoping that in any 4.0 bill, we, we can provide some uh, support to the industry um, in the way that the industry has been supporting uh, us for the past few months. 
I appreciate that. And certainly the industry appreciates uh, your interest and the committee's interest in, in trying to help work through the challenges that we face. And I agree with your comment that we couldn't, I couldn't, we couldn't be more proud of the men and women in this industry and what they're doing, figuring things out. Uh, to, there's no playbook out there. So, so we appreciate that. And we understand Congress has got uh, its hands full in figuring your way through it also. Uh, just one comment. Uh, you were uh, involved. There was a hearing in the Coast Guard subcommittee last October uh, concerning the, the uh, Maritime Silk Road, China's Maritime Silk Road. And uh, you were one of the, the members who uh, actively participated in that hearing. And I frankly, I just want to say I appreciate that very much. It's, uh, uh, there are very, very serious issues at stake. And, and maritime is, is not one that's talked about all that much, but it, it is certainly uh, in the sights of the Chinese Communist Party, as you say, and, and uh, uh, it deserves attention. So I just want to say I appreciate your participation in that, and I think there's probably a lot more to come in that area. Well, I hope so. I, I find it interesting, and I appreciate everything you've done um, on these issues. And, uh, you know, part of what's so exciting about these issues is that they are at the intersection of geopolitical competition and good old-fashioned Wisconsin manufacturing, you know, the blue-collar spirit that is so ingrained in Northeast Wisconsin. That's why I love them. Good. But it, that brings us back to where we started, and it's probably a good place to close. Um, I, I want to thank you, Congressman Gallagher, for being here with us today, and, and thank you really for engaging on issues that matter to the American maritime industry, and I hope uh, that you'll stay involved with this industry as long as you're in Congress. We, we really benefit from uh, sort of that building up of expertise and, and the genuine commitment that you have, so thank you. Appreciate that. I'm losing my hair though rapidly, so I'm not much how, sure how long I can survive in Congress. So we'll see. I'll, I'll take that to heart though. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, we'll leave it there. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and, and encourage you to share this podcast with others. You can find it at AmericanMaritimePartnership.com and on Twitter at Amp Maritime. Now, this is Mike Roberts signing off. 